like we just want to move away from um, white-centered kind of, what do I say, tools to heal. Hi friends, welcome to Decolonize Everything. My name is Rebecca Mendoza-Nunziato, and I'm your host, conversation partner, and convener of this sacred circle. I'm so grateful that you've joined us. Today I'll be speaking with Maria, Sierra, and Denise Vaughn, who are longtime mentors to me and women who, well, to be honest, the world needs to hear. So today I'm kicking off part one of a two-part conversation with Maria and Denise. It's in two parts because there's so much goodness packed in here, and I wanted to be able to give space. So in today's episode, we'll focus on questions of healing as decolonization, specifically the idea of healing-centered engagement, and we'll share a little bit about our own journey towards embodiment and the ways that we've learned to pay attention to the coloniality steeped into our social work system. And in part two of this episode, Maria, Denise, and I will continue the conversation and go a little bit deeper into our practices of decolonial spirituality. Hey, so I'm Denise Vaughn, and I'm a family advocate at Joshua Station. Uh, which is a program for homeless families in transition. I'm a mom of three kiddos and two cat babies. (laughs) What else, Becca? What else? Well, let me just mention that I'm an African-American woman trying to (laughs) hold it down (laughs) in all of this. (laughs) And say a little bit more about, like, what you do with like the earth and medicine and healing because I feel like that's a pretty big thing yeah so you know that's part of the thing is is see that's where it starts already I'm going to talk about the things that I do but you want me to talk about the things that I am and that makes me really happy so um I am a Reiki master who um believes in the art of energy and expanding oneself by um like participating in your own healing with someone else who is compassionate. And I feel like, you know, Maria and I talk and we've talked about um, how indigenous sort of practices um, are really part of decolonizing. So that and the arts, and I love to dig around in the dirt and grow vegetables and flowers and so forth. and just a collector of curious things, um, and I <laughs> and um, I have this vision. We could talk about later for all kinds of like herbal medicine and spirit medicine. So, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, Maria, your turn. <laughs> uh, well, I am Maria Sierra, and just like Denise, I work for a local nonprofit. Um, I currently work with homeless families in employment and education um, stuff, helping them uh, walk along that path. We both have been doing this type of work for over 25 years. Um, And I'm a mom of three adult children, 
two grandbabies. One is brand new. Yeah, I um, identify specifically as a lot of things, but um, mm -hmm. primarily um, Chicana. I grew up in Northwest Denver. My father was a Brown Beret um, in the Chicano movement. So that um, is partly why I identify the way that I do. Um, will you both explain to me a little bit about your relationship? <laughs> Go ahead, we're, we're sisters. Yeah, from my perspective, Maria is my sister. And um, we have worked, like she said, in the field for well over 25 years, um, trying to kind of be with people on the margins and not separate ourselves from that. I think that's one of the things that causes us to be close, realize that, you know, we're we are the people that we work with. But um, so we've worked together for 17 years. Yeah, we have evolved to um, this, like she said, soul friend on car relationship where um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is we just get each other and we kind of know where we need to fill in the gaps for each other. And uh, for me, Denise is probably one of two people on this planet that just unconditionally accepts me and all that I am. So that kind of explains why it's easy for us to say that we're sisters. So tell me a little bit about how you see social work, because I don't think when people hear the word social work, they could get anywhere, anywhere near grasping the wholeness and the beauty of what of what you two do. Can you talk a little bit about, yeah, your, your own definition of your work? Social work for me is an extension of, of who I am and what I've experienced. Um, some of the similarities that Denise talked about is we both came into this work because we were recipients of this type of work on some level when we were young and just the way that God works and the universe works. I ended up in working in housing, which when I started in my career, my mother reminded me that when I was a kid, I used to talk about wanting to buy a big building and house all the homeless people, which is interesting um, because now I've worked with homeless families for 20 years and, um, so social work to me is an extension of what we receive and who we are, meaning that, you know, if I'm struggling, then I'm going to go to my autumn car or my neighbor or, you know, what most people are familiar with is social services or some sort of agency that helps. Um, and, and when you receive that and you get to the point that that resource helps you get to, then you extend that. Um, for me, that's what social work is. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it sounds like reciprocity, right? Like, and like, and a cycle of life and love. What do you think it was in you as a kid that made you want to house all the people? I grew up very poor. I grew up in the projects. I, you know, my mom didn't have the best, but they did the best they could. My mom and my grandmother, and I had opportunities that you wouldn't have thought that someone in my socioeconomic background would have had. And so maybe that was part of it, but I have no idea. What about you, Denise? What is what is social work in your life and definition? For me, you know, what just 
keeps coming up is relationship and the art of relationship. And, you know, we can tend to use catchphrases, relationship, empowerment, agency. And we just kind of say it. So I guess from family of origin stuff that I learned um, in some very hard ways, but just kind of building on my own personality and my own desire to be authentic it just evolved naturally and I feel like somehow I was called to it, which is funny because when I was a teenager, I was absolutely sure I was going to be an artist. Like, yeah. And now I'm like, I can't even, I don't know. Um, so that's one of the things about decolonizing is getting back to my true self. But that's what I hope that the work is that it's the reciprocity you talked about with Maria and that I'm growing and the person's growing and they're seen and met, but like as a whole person. So when I think about social work, like in this moment in time, there's a lot of interesting dialogue around we need to abolish or defund or adjust the police as a role in society and we need social workers. And then there's been interesting pushback that says, actually, social work is very much can very much have that white savior complex, that colonial energy. So can you both just kind of describe a little bit of the colonization or um, harmful energy that social work can be to help frame it? Well, I think, um, you know, at almost 50 and over two decades doing this work, I honestly didn't realize what that really looked like until probably the last five years or so, because thinking you had to meet that colonized white savior kind of um, benchmark, right, to be successful. And what it looks like in my experience is if you get a certain level of education, if you um, take a certain type of training, if you save your money a certain way so that you can buy a home because buying a home gives you a status, um, um, those types of things where these social work entities or helping agencies kind of always have some sort of linear path towards like retaining something that's material Ooh, yeah. instead of like that change of thought right that yeah. and so then people are driven by oh I, I don't have this yet I'm not successful when you when it pushes you to not even look at the longevity of your life and and what those successes truly are that's such a heavy weighted question too because like Maria said as we kind of come to a place where you're evolving as a person and and your understanding of just life and showing up for yourself and others and like and just going like this is not my life mm. this is someone else's construct Ooh. then I go Maria this feels crazy like am I crazy am I gonna am I that angry black woman or what what is the deal so I can kind of get a handle on that and that is what I've noticed in my field is like there is a visceral response from me now because of my own practices and kind of becoming where I sense this like we just want to move away from um white centered kind of uh what do I say? Tools to heal. Mm. Like often um, the trauma informed piece, which is great. I mean, it has value. 
um, but there's more layers and, and Maria is a staunch advocate and, and I am too. And I've learned a lot from her about, you know, this healing centered approach. What does that look like? It takes us off of the trajectory of like this transactional, you come to me, I help you work through your problems. I mean, it's much more complex than mm-hmm. that, but also, you know, what, what, who are you really? How can I see you? How do you see yourself? Really important, like you said, as you began this, to call like a sacred circle and 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 be that for people um, in social work. It doesn't have to be so rigid, and it definitely doesn't have to come from only a white lens or a predominantly academic or follow the DSM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So as you're kind of on the journey of moving out of that, I don't know if moving out is the right word, but I guess like challenging the white-centered tools by involving the healing-centered way, how are you drawing on your own lineage? When you asked me to introduce myself, I said an African-American woman. And that's all I have to hold on to at this particular point. And so I'm like very proud of that and very, um, but that's just one piece of my lineage. And I don't have access to all of the, the pieces that are me and that form my lineage and so forth. And so for a long time, um, you know, that identity piece was just kind of this uh, very fragmented, frayed part of my soul until I began to do the work that we're talking about, just that comes from within to say, hey. Um, and then I found this amazing program. So I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Four, who um, does uh, ancestral medicine. And so I've been fortunate to be part of a um ancestral he- ancestral lineage healing um, program so that I can, even without knowing my great, great, great grandmother's name, I have a sense of her. I have, I now can say, you know, due to so many different types of work, like Resmum and Nakam is getting so much, you know, there's, there's so many people that are out there helping us to say, this is what I bring and even if I can't, I can't articulate it, but even if I can't articulate how I know, I know, and I'm gonna pay homage to my ancestors and I'm gonna take it a step further to show up in this world and pay homage to the fact that even I, like where we're sitting, we're sitting on mm-hmm. Ute land. This didn't belong to the people who brought my ancestors here, nor does it belong to us. No, that's... It's huge. It's huge. Um, I almost cried when you said, even if I don't know my great-great-grandmother's name, because for me, too, not feeling like I have access to my own lineage has been such a painful part of this process. To do that work, we need guides and elders and folks that'll, that'll even just say, like, I know how that feels, right? Exactly. I think for me, how I draw on my lineage, mine is so mixed and so um, complicated, I'll say, 
so I began that journey to even research my lineage, probably what it's been four years now, um, really pretty thoroughly. I was happy just identifying, I think, as Hispanic when I was young, and then that evolved to Latina, to Chicana when I was older, when I fully, fully understood that. And now, through the research that I was doing, on one side of my family found, <laughs> went way back, probably five or six generations, because um, my mother is half white, found that lineage, and we thought all these years that we were English, and we are Irish. Oh. Um, when I found that out, I'm like, I'm mestiza through and through, mm. and I need to, like, say that more because Chicana for me means so much and it means something for everybody differently when they identify that way. Um, but like anything else that colonization has created, when you say it, it has a certain connotation. Um, but Mestiza through and through is really what my lineage is and it is filled with so much. So I try to draw on whatever I stumble across in that lineage, whether it's healing or celebrations or anything. Okay, this is really important to me because I also am very mixed, very mestiza, very, I don't know what to call myself. (laughs) Um, I don't want to use a colonizer category. And I believe, I think I believe, I'm testing out a belief about, you know, understanding all ethnicities within me is really important and it's really hard because you know like it'd be really nice to just be like I'm not gonna worry about the British I'm not gonna worry about the Irish because you know they they get enough attention in the world but the reality is this is that they don't in the sense that it's become whiteness and so there's a disconnect from the actual ancestry and ethnicity and earth-based like healing spiritualities there too that's so true Becca and it messes with you right my mother when we found out she was Irish she just she can't embrace it and I think it's because of exactly what you just said and you know that even plays over like I'm so glad you guys said that because you just teach me to go like a step further that's something that has brought a lot of shame about because there was a point like all through my young life people be like what are you mixed with I'm just like I don't know um but I'm supposed to hold this torch for African-American and I hold that and it's beautiful, right? But I know there's other, I, I have to have all these other pieces and like we have to embrace them and, and it feels wonderful to do that and like have this openness and freedom. You know, these are some of the things that are stolen, to, stolen or lost. Mm-hmm. Also is um, oral stories and like just yeah. some sort of understanding and trying to, trying to nail that legacy. And so I'm super excited because in a number of weeks, my mother's going to find mm-hmm. out. And by, by virtue yeah. of that, I'll find out mm-hmm. something. I took the ancestry test because, you know, I felt like I was missing so much of my story that if I could get any of it, even if it was like just genetic DNA, like that would help. Um, but it, it does it, it does create a deep grief and sadness because there is so much that that is lost. And I think it's something I've really learned from like the indigenous people of the Americas, especially Native Americans, is like you don't get to be something just because it's in your blood. 
you like that doesn't mean you you are something what makes you know you part of of this bigger narrative is the investment and there's and that's I think the beauty of like the tribal um, community and in the same way like I need to figure out what it means to belong in in a lot of different communities and it's it's no simple thing but it's part of investing in in a more I think a more beautiful and connected way right like it's and we hold a sense of that I think you you literally just hold the sense of that in your body I got like emotional (laughs) Uh oh. (laughs) can you say more about that like how it's actually embodied yeah well for me that's my way of knowing you know I have a handful of women warriors like just kind spirits who who help me to understand myself and like um that's a kind of a gift of this pandemic too is just kind of like can i slow down to sense where i where i'm landing in the world um because this doesn't feel um like my way like when you mentioned the sense of belonging, it just struck a chord because that's something I feel or don't feel in my body. And it's something that I can't necessarily explain to anyone. Um, but we carry, I think all people do. I mean, I just believe that. That's why you're so like, hey, I want to know any piece of who I am because your body is longing mm-hmm. for that. Um, you know, and, and that just goes into my like way of seeing, I think we're spirits in a body. Yeah. So I feel it in my, in my throat, you know, when I don't have a voice, when I, when I don't feel connected to, I feel it in my, my stomach when I feel like I'm kind of on some linear trajectory that is not mine with how we do civic action or social work or whatever, like, and I just want to, you know, kind of move into the place of how we're designed and that's what you're talking about we're not designed for all of this that's why we carry it in our body so when each of you think about healings a healing centered path um in these bodies, in these identities, maneuvering through these these colonial structures, like what are some of the f- like just very practical steps or practices that you you are drawn to as a as a way of of centering healing? So I do um, indigenous meditations, um, and really all that means is that I have to listen to um, Native American music, drums, um, stuff like that, because it kind of helps me um, get to that level. It it brings that um, embodiment of connection. Um, another thing that I recently started through the pandemic, thanks to Resma Menicum, is just, you know, I, I like to call it like just a pulse check for me to stop in the midst of um, whatever it is that's charging my body to um, like disengage that. I'm going to use my language of so mm-hmm. not honoring him the right way. But um, if I would have understood my body way before I was in my late forties, I probably could have experienced this life not as hard as I did. Um, and I'm still learning. 
So, um, but those are the practical things that I do. Yeah. When you talk about um, Resmus teaching around like what's charging your body, are you referencing how he talks about um, kind of the awareness of like how your body's being hit by white body supremacy? Yes. Yes. And to just like pause, take those pauses um, because your environment can affect you and that environment can be strictly white supremacy built or influenced. And, but even if it's not white supremacy, it's just, you know, um, familial stuff, trauma stuff, just all of that. Um, and paying attention to, yeah, how my body is charged and, and directing that charge or, or, um, diffusing that charge. Yeah, I know reading and experiencing Resma through his teachings has been like what has helped me get to kind of what you were saying, Denise, like, oh, I feel this in my throat. Like before I feel like I didn't, I didn't know if I was hungry. I didn't know if I was thirsty. I didn't know if I was tired. Like I was just on a different, like it's just that trauma and that fight or flight and that all that stuff. And, you know, as I start to pay attention to it, I'm like, oh, I would like to sit down. <laughs> I would like to breathe for a second. And I'm. it's still such a huge challenge for me, but it just speaks to the coloniality of the way that we hypercharge our brains and we like forget that we're in a body, you know? Right. And I'll just say, Becca, how my body reacted for me, for most of my life was violently, thinking that was normal. And there's many reasons to that. But but that's what I mean about paying attention to what charges my body because my reaction to that charging my entire life was with violence. I haven't fully um, learned like from that because I'm still very loud. <laughs> I'm still very, um, can come across <laughs> very aggressive and it's, it's from that. And so just really paying attention to my body and what all that means. It's not the only thing, but that's why it's so important to me to pay attention to yeah, we all, like I said, I numbed out a lot of my body. Your body reacted with this violent violence, kind of en- that anger. Like we all are responding in different ways. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure out, like, how do I survive? How do I breathe? How do I thrive? And all of that energy that you just talked about is kind of crashing into one another. Mm. I wanted to go, Maria, but loud is not necessarily violent because... Yeah. Same. Yeah, she's taught me that just by how she shows up. And like you have, like I said, this kind of yin and yang kind of relationship. And so we teach each other. You being fully present, Maria, and your fullest self is the gift, not the disorder, you know, like, and all of the like kind of working through all of those things. And Denise, with you, like, I know you and I have talked a lot about like, the ways that we want to be gentle, but how sometimes that can be like submissive and um, can be a way of disengaging too, you know, like, oof. Yeah, like, I tend to be more quiet and kind of measured and so forth, but, like, not too many people have seen me, like, go completely off, and, like, when I think I'm going off, they're like, no, 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 you're fine. Um, so, I don't know, but I know I have it in me. <laughs> um, well, yeah, will you say more, Denise, about, like, your own healing-centered framework and kind of what kind of practices and, like, practical ways that you're you're doing this work and kind of experiencing these shifts? I don't have a particular thing. I have, you know, I let things kind of find me. And so, um, 
you know, it might be lighting candles, it might be um, some delightful smell, like an essential oil, it might be, you know, whatever I can find that's beautiful, whatever I can find that centers me. Also, um, and she brings it to her space where she lives every day. But but seriously, it really is this sort of which I think is okay. I think some people need to hear that too because it's not like oh I get up and I do this mm-hmm. and then I do that. I'm not capable of doing that for so many reasons. We don't need to talk about here. But um, <laughs> I just I like to find the information. I feel like a sponge, and that's what's helping me kind of what you say, like parse this out, what's what. Um, Like Maria said about being with the earth, there is something really important to me. Like I'm already not dreading winter, but trying to prepare for what my plans will be to combat when I can't just go in and out and like put my feet on the ground and like, care for a garden and like something about that is very familiar it feels like an old part of my heritage that's come like i belong there so it's so that's so helpful it's helpful for me because i do really struggle to be there's a lot of words for it. I struggle with being disciplined is one word, and that definitely has a negative connotation. But I also struggle with ritual, which has a more positive connotation. Um, but what you're describing are it's a way of being, you know, that that brings your body to life, reminds you that you're alive. It sounds like is that is that right? It is. It's like different things for different reasons. You mentioned ritual. We both have an altar we tend. Mm-hmm. I love it. And there's just times that I create spaces that I know what space I need to be in mm-hmm. at whatever moment. And, and that feels really good. Um, it feels impossible, though, if you're not really tracking and just giving yourself permission. Will you tell me about your altars? I know it's sacred, but if you could give us a little overview. Okay, I'm going to stop us right here because the next part of this conversation opened up a whole new universe. In the second episode, Maria, Denise, and I will share a little bit about our own spiritual practices and the ways that we engage and alter in our homes. Thank you so much for joining us. Big shout out, so much gratitude to Maria and Denise. And as always, you can follow us at Decolonize Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Decolonize Pod on Twitter. It's so beautiful. I am a fan girl. Both of you have been some of the most dynamic people I've known in this city. And gosh, like I've just experienced so much freedom in your presence. Um, I love it when you say that because what? Why is that even a thing? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, you too.